0: Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome Valley boys and girls to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And we are coming to you on a slightly more optimistic note than the last time. Um, it is really funny how one game can drastically change the outlook of an entire series. Uh, and we saw that in game four with the Suns coming out on top in a 192 victory over the Los Angeles Lakers, tying up the series, stealing back home court advantage. And now we're heading into game five. It's a best of three from here. And a lot has changed in the span of one game. Uh, Our last episode was pretty much all doom and gloom heading into game four because Chris Paul was still banged up. We were, yes, we did suggest starting campaign because uh, we thought Chris Paul was still injured. And to be honest, I think everyone did. And then he came back and he looked injured for most of the first half. And then near the end of that second quarter, he really just looked more like himself. And in that second half, especially Um, And the Suns were able to get a big win on the road, tie up the series, and uh, now the outlook is a lot brighter than it was, you know, just a few days ago. So we're going to be talking about some keys and and some reasons to feel good heading into this pivotal game five in this best of seven series. We're going to talk about the LeBron James factor because that is going to be huge in a very important game like this. And uh, for our G-rated segment this week, we're going to talk about Mare of Easttown, which is the HBO uh, crime series. I don't want to call it a thriller, but um, it just wrapped up its first and possibly only season on HBO over the weekend, over Memorial Day weekend. So we'll talk about that as well. But let's start with the Suns and Game 5 and... There are a lot of positives to take into this game five. And just to paint the picture of how important this game is game five winners, when the series is tied two to two throughout NBA history, go on to win the series about 83% of the time. So whoever wins this game five historically has a really, really good chance of making it out of the first round of moving on to face the winner of the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers, both of whom are good teams and have dangerous players to worry about, but are significantly flawed as well. And, and pretty decent matchups for the Suns, especially in Denver's case. Um, Suns are at home for game five, obviously, which is a big deal. Uh, and we can't go any further talking about this series without mentioning that Anthony Davis is probably going to miss at least game five. Um, he was reported to have a groin strain uh, by Shams, and that his outlook, he's looking unlikely. He's officially listed as questionable for this game, but it's looking like his, he's not going to play in this game. We don't know about the rest of the series, but uh, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it's not looking good for him playing in game five and possibly the rest of the series, depending on how severe that, that groin strain is. Um, and even if he does play, he will be severely limited because he's also dealing with the knee injury. Now he's got the groin thing going on. Um, and when you've got that many injuries going on, it's very easy to tweak something else because your body is overcompensating. So it would be pretty dangerous for him to play in that game. And even if he does, it's unknown how effective he'll actually be. Um And for the Suns, you know, they're obviously playing at home, but they're also increasing their capacity for this game. So for the first two playoff games, they had raised it to 11,000 plus, um, which basically means 12,000. I think they were just under 12,000. And uh, they're raising it all the way to 16,000, which is only like 2,000 shy of max capacity in Phoenix Arena. So it's going to be even louder than it was for the first two games. And the first two games were really loud as someone who was in the building. So um, that all of these things are in the Suns' favor. Uh, on the Anthony Davis front, him being out makes a huge difference. There's no denying that. There's no getting around it. It's a, it's a break for the Suns in, in the way that it's um, – how do I put this? It's unfortunate, and nobody should ever cheer for injuries, but we can't act like it's not something that will benefit the Suns on the court because, obviously, if they don't have Anthony Davis, they're a much easier team to beat because he is a tough cover, and I'd argue he's a tougher cover for the Suns than LeBron James is just in terms of who you can put on him, especially when they have Andre Drummond or Marc Gasol out there because you can't put DeAndre Ayton on Anthony Davis if those guys are out there. Um, so again, he's listed as questionable. The MRI revealed a groin strain, but groin strains are very easy to re-injure. Um, I actually in high school I played basketball and I had a groin strain and was out for I think I sat out for three, four, five weeks, something like that. And I tried to come back and like very quickly re-injured it and then had to miss more weeks on top of that. And I just never felt the same, and it still like bothered me. Um, throughout our you know little playoff run in state, whatever, New Mexico basketball. <laughs> Obviously, I am not the same caliber athlete that Anthony Davis is. Obviously, I do not get the same kind of uh, medical care with the staffs that they have uh, for the M- these NBA teams. But, you know, that's for anyone that's experienced a groin strain. You know how nagging it is, how impossible it is to p- play through and how easy it is to re-aggravate it. Um, and I I was looking at different, you know, sports doctors opinions on this on Twitter, um, because they were kind of sharing their insight over the last few days about what this means, or especially, uh, Monday when it came out that it was a groin strain, they were, you know, speculating and, and most of them were saying, you know, they wouldn't feel comfortable with him being back out on the court for another eight to 10 days, which would mean the rest of the series. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen because Anthony Davis is going to want to play, especially if the Suns take care of business in game five and put them on the ropes. Like, they're the defending champs. This is a first-round series, um, and they believe that they can beat anybody in a first-round series as long as they're healthy. So he will probably try to play through injury. I hope that he doesn't push it if it is that severe and if it's something that he can't play through but tries to anyway. I really hope it doesn't come to that. Um, because, you know, Anthony Davis has had such an extensive injury history as it is. We really don't need to compound it. And again, even if this is a break for the suns, uh, you know, we've seen the suns overlook opponents that they should beat and not come out as focused as opposed to when they're playing title contending teams or playoff caliber teams. So that even could backfire. Um, and no, again, we should never, ever root for injuries, um, because a, like, it's just wrong. And B, you know, Lakers fans are going to use this as an excuse forever. They're going to disregard the fact that Chris Paul was not healthy for the first two and a half to three games of the series. Let's not give them any excuses. We hope that Anthony Davis is okay. That the groin strain is something that he can come back from and play through and be okay. Okay. Um, because we don't want to hear any excuses if the Suns knocked him out of the playoffs, because then it's always going to be, oh, if Anthony Davis was healthy, we definitely would have beaten the Suns. We probably would have won titles, whatever, Um, which, you know, it is possible. It's possible that if Anthony Davis was fully healthy, they would be up in the series. It's possible that they would still win the series if he's healthy. I don't know, but we're not going to use that as an excuse. We don't want that as an excuse, and we want Anthony Davis to be healthy because a it's more satisfying to beat a team at full strength and b, like we just don't root for injuries here we've seen way too many in the NBA this year and Suns fans should know how that feels after watching Chris Paul go down in game one of the series when the Suns were up like it's really hard not to think of what ifs when that happens so um, but we can't ignore that it, it is a positive for the Suns Another positive for the Suns, especially if Anthony Davis is out, is that DeAndre Ayton is absolutely feasting. Um, You know, in the series, he's averaging 19.8 points per game, 13.5 rebounds, and one block per game. Um, He shot 38 of 47 from the field, which is just under 81%. So he's been the Suns' most consistent, best overall player, which is kind of hilarious because coming into the series – out of all the four youngsters, you know, you think of Devin Booker, Aiton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, the one that most of us were worried about was Aiton and how whether he'd show up for the playoffs, whether he would do the little things that he needs to do. And he has totally maximized his role, Maximize Aiton. Like, he's been phenomenal, but he's not doing anything outside of his specific role. Like, he's not shooting threes. He's not putting in all these different post moves or like showing off some refined offensive game. Like most of his shots are coming from around the basket. He's cleaning up the boards. He's giving the sun second chance opportunities with his offensive rebounding. Um, And he's defending pretty well. There was a stretch in games two and three where the help defense wasn't always where it needed to be, but he's been the sun's most consistent player, especially two way player in the series so far. Um, he joined Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, and Patrick Ewing as the only players with 75 plus points and 50 plus rebounds through their first four playoff games or, or through, yeah, through their first four playoff games. He is also the first player in NBA playoff history to record a double-double on 70% shooting in, in four consecutive playoff games. And those were the, four, they were the first four playoff games of his career. So he's off to an incredible start. He's not playing outside of himself, which is really awesome because imagine if he does add that three-point shot to his arsenal in the future. Imagine if he does refine his post game a little bit and becomes this impossible-to-stop player on the block. Like Aiton is really just getting a lot of easy looks around the rim and he's cleaning up on all of them. So he's been fantastic. He's doing a great job on the boards. The Suns need to continue to give him help on the boards. Um, But as long as he continues to do the little things like, you know, communicate on defense, make those switches, hit the offensive glass, clean up around the rim, the Suns are in a good spot because the Lakers front court with Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond, that creates some problems. But if it's just DeAndre Ayton versus Andre Drummond, we saw it down the stretch of game four, Ayton is going to dominate that matchup. Like, he's going to feast on that matchup. He's just better than Andre Drummond. So if he comes in focused like he did in game four and throughout the series, honestly, the Suns are in a good spot with their big man. Um, And it's wild to say that he's been the Suns' best player through these first four games, but he really has. Um, Another positive is even though the Suns, it felt like the Suns shot a lot better from three in game four, they really didn't. And they're still waiting on that one night where they just go off from three-point range. They haven't shot the ball well in this series. And Monty has been saying, you know, we're due, we're due. And it felt like they were finally there in game four in the first half. Because they shot eight for 20 from three in the first half, which is 40%. That's great. And then they proceeded to go 10 for 15 in the second half. And so they wound up at like 27% or something like that for the game. So... Even in game four, when it felt like their offense has finally clicked and they were finally confident and Monty had talked about their let-it-fly mentality that they were still having, Jay Crowder finally hit a couple of threes, um, including that dagger at the end, they really didn't shoot the ball well as a whole for that game. So they're still waiting on that game where they just shoot the lights out like they have multiple times this season. They were a top-10 team in three-point percentage this year. So we're still waiting on that moment, that breakthrough moment. I, I'm i not a betting man, but I would bank that in front of 16,000 fans in a huge game five at home against the shorthanded Lakers team, there's a good chance it's going to happen in game five. Um, so the Suns are 38 for 118 in this series from three-point range, which is 32.2%. And that ranks 14th among all playoff teams. So I think it's only better than the Lakers in 15th and the Wizards in 16th. So they really haven't shot the ball well, especially because during the regular season, they were at almost 38% from three. Um, They've actually taken nine fewer three-pointers than the Lakers, who are a bad three-point shooting team. I think they were 21st in three-point percentage during the regular season. So the Suns are shooting fewer threes, and they're making just a little bit more than the Lakers. Um, they need that discrepancy to be a bit bigger. And I think if they bounce back finally and have that breakthrough night in game five, we'll see it grow a little bit, that disparity. Um, they're actually also, if you look at the like catch and shoot numbers and, and closest defender numbers, they're only 10 for 49 on what NBA.com calls open threes, which is where the nearest defender is four to six feet away. So that's only 20% on these quote-unquote open threes. Um, and that's way down from the 35.8% they shot on those exact same shots during the regular season. So that's about a 16-point difference in percentage points there. So if they just have a normal night shooting three, they don't even have to shoot the lights out, but just like a normal night, they have a huge advantage over this Lakers team. Um the good news is on wide open threes in this series where the nearest defender is six feet plus away. uh, They're 25 for 49, which is about 51%. That's actually up from about 41% that they shot on those wide open threes during the regular season. But, you know, that could continue. That doesn't feel flukish because the Lakers defense just isn't as intimidating without AD on the court. Uh, They lose some length. They lose some size. They have to play someone, like Markeith Morris, more minutes. So that could work in their favor a little bit. Um, even if they do go small and try to send somebody out there who can switch positions, it's not the same for your defense as when you have Anthony Davis out there to clean up all over the floor. Um, another reason to feel positive, and this is one that's kind of similar, just how the Suns are, are due for this big three-point shooting game, Devin Booker is due for another big game. Um, So in the series, he's averaging a team high 25.3 points, 5.5 assists, and 4.8 rebounds per game. But his scoring numbers are coming on like 41% shooting from the field and like 26% shooting from three. Um, And since game one, he had a really great game one. But since game one, he's averaging 22.3 points, 4.7 assists, and four rebounds. He's only shooting 36% from the field, and he's two for 12 from three, which is like 17%. So since game one, he really has not been good with his shot. Um, you got to give the Lakers defense credit. Like they've they've thrown a lot of double teams his way, a lot of different looks. They've got a lot of length to bother him. They're closing off passing lanes, which takes away some of his playmaking. Um, And not having a fully healthy Chris Paul has had an effect on that as well, because without him being able to attack off those double teams, like the Lakers wouldn't be able to get away with double teaming Devin Booker like this if Chris Paul was healthy. We saw it early in game one as well. Um, So these are all factors that have contributed to this. Um, And Book, we have to give Book credit, like just because he hasn't been scoring the ball efficiently or scoring the ball well, he's been getting to the free throw line and he's been tremendous on the defensive end. Um, I know that other guys are going to get credit for the Sun's stingy defense, but this has been a defensive slugfest and Devin Booker has not been a liability like a lot of us thought he might be in his first ever playoff series. Um, you know, the whole Devin Booker is a terrible defender narrative has been kind of misplaced for a year or so now. Uh, he's been a lot better this season, but he's been really good in the playoffs so far. Um, if you look at the numbers, he's, his main guys that he's defended have been Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Dennis Schroeder, Wes Matthews, Caruso, and Kyle Kuzma. And in this series so far, when he's been the primary defender, he's held them to a combined five of 23 shooting, um, which is around like 20 some percent. So it's not, I think it's less than 20 some percent, but that's pretty good. His defense has been solid and and actually in game four, his defense on Dennis Schroeder was noticeable the way that he was hounding him, chasing him through screens, making his life difficult. And Schroeder had been hurting the Suns, and he didn't have a big game at all in game four. So that was really key so even though he's committing some turnovers his decision making has been tough in the wake of you know this number one defense that's making his life hell he's still contributing to winning i think this is the moment where devin booker has a bounce back game at home in front of the biggest playoff crowd he's ever seen um i think it's i think we're due for a devin booker bounce back game and even if we're not, he's still making those winning plays. He's still doing what he needs to do, even against the tough defense that's focused on him. So I think we'll see a few more of those winning plays that we're used to seeing from Devin Booker, but haven't always seen in the clutch this season and especially in this series. Um, and then there's the obvious having a healthier CP three helps not just Devin Booker, but everyone on the Suns. Like it was a breath of fresh air, seeing him play more like himself in game four, because, that third quarter when the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis, you could just sense that Chris Paul could like smell the blood in the water. He was aggressive. He was looking for his shot. He wanted to put the Lakers in a hole and he was kind of leading that charge to swing the momentum and to make sure that they built up a double digit advantage because they needed it. Like they knew that LeBron James was going to make a push of some sort and, and they did the Lakers did. They got it down to, I think a one possession game in that fourth quarter, but Chris Ball was tremendous. He helped them close out. He had a team-high 18 points, nine assists, and three steals. And that's after you know not topping seven points in any of the first three games of this series, not being able to shoot a three. He actually did take a three in game four. He missed it, but just the fact that he's willing to take it and keep the Lakers' defense honest is going to be huge moving forward. Um, He shot seven for 15 and he was four for four from the free throw line after he had missed half of his free throws through the first three games, um, despite being the league leader in free throw percentage. So um, these are all encouraging signs and they will make Devin Booker's life easier if he's getting back to normal. Now we'll see how his shoulder responds. He's listed as probable for game five. We'll see how his shoulder responds after playing in game four, playing more minutes than he's played for most of the series. But I think it was a good sign that he played and and didn't have pain or discomfort the way that it was very obvious he was having in games two and three. Um, Then the last one, again, similar, Mikael Bridges still hasn't really shown up in this series yet. Like from an offensive standpoint, obviously he has a huge defensive task in guarding LeBron James. And that's probably part of the reason why we're not seeing him, you know, making a ton of shots or doing a ton on offense that, in and of itself on the defensive end is a full task. Um, But, you know, in game four, he looked a lot more confident in looking for his shot and taking his shot. Um, He was only four for 12 from the field, but the fact that he just took 12 shots is an encouraging sign. And he went three for eight from three-point range, which is a good percentage, and eight three-point attempts is, is a high number. Like, the Suns need to get threes up and capitalize on that, disparity between their efficiency from long range and the Lakers. So it was good that he was hunting for a shot. I think he even took a step back three off the dribble. He didn't make it, but he looks a lot more confident. And that's going to be key, especially at home to, you know, hopefully his offense showing up in this series for the first time. Um, He only had 11 points in game four, but again, looked a lot more confident, looked a lot more aggressive and comfortable and in front of the home crowd in game four, hopefully that all kind of clicks into place, especially if the Suns are knocking down threes, that's just going to open up everything else. And Mikhail can attack off the dribble as we've seen multiple times. Uh, So he could potentially have a big game and have a big impact in game five. Um, But we do need to address the potential pitfalls here. Aside from the obvious that like the Suns sometimes have overlooked opponents, lesser opponents, teams that are resting guys, teams that are below 500, um, So obviously without Anthony Davis, there is the danger of that. I think because it's a playoff game, the Suns will not make the mistake of overlooking this Lakers team. They still have LeBron James. You can't overlook a Lakers team with LeBron James and Monty had said that they're prepping for this game as if Anthony Davis is going to be available. And then they'll adjust if he's not there. That could just be coach speak, but you know, I I think that Anthony Davis is not going to play, but we'll see what happens. Um, So without Anthony Davis, if he does not play in this game, that is priming the Lakers for a vintage LeBron James performance. And we've seen him do this so many times throughout his career when his team's back is against the wall, when it desperately needs a win, he rises to the occasion and just puts on display a masterful performance. And he's still very much capable of that. The question is whether he's capable of that in his current form this is going to be the biggest test of how healthy, how, you know, quote unquote back he actually is because, you know, he's had a couple of good games, especially in game two and game three where his passing and just some of his playmaking helped decide the game and, and put the Lakers on top. But he really hasn't hurt the Suns from a scoring standpoint yet. Um Like he's only averaging 21.8 points per game in the series, which is on pace for his second lowest scoring series of his entire playoff career. Um, It would be second only to the 2011 NBA finals when he totally disappeared and averaged like less than 18 points per game. So he's only averaging like 21, 22 points per game right now against the Suns. He hasn't hurt them too bad from a scoring standpoint. He's only shooting 40% from the field and 18% from three-point range. So he hasn't been efficient. You know, he's made plays. He's had highlight dunks. He's made defensive plays. He's still incredibly tough as far as his ability to add rebounds and assists to the box score. But if he's unable to take over game five from a scoring standpoint, the Lakers are going to be in a lot of trouble. And if I'm the Lakers, I'm surrounding LeBron James with a bunch of shooters trying to go small to make up for the lack of Anthony Davis – and hoping that the Lakers also bounce back from their poor three-point shooting because the Lakers were a bad three-point shooting team during the regular season but they've been even worse in this playoff series and just like you have to give the Lakers defense credit for closing out on Suns three-point shooters you have to give the Suns defense credit for doing the same to the Lakers and making them shoot tough shots but they also have missed a lot of open threes so Um, This is one of those games where if the Lakers feed on LeBron James energy because he has this ability to be infectious, he elevates his teammates, and if he gets it going early, and it turns into one of those chest thumping games, the Lakers role players are going to respond to that. They've responded to it before this is a team that's won a championship. So if he sets that tone, and they rise to it, the Suns are going to have a tough time with or without Anthony Davis. So they need to make sure that they are closing out on these shooters and not letting LeBron James' passing pick them apart for a hot three-point shooting night. Um, so it, it could be a real dogfight, especially because the Lakers could be due. So they've only shot 37 for 127 from three, which is 29.1%. That's 15th among all 16 playoff teams. Um, they've shot nine for 41 on open three, so that's 22%. It's slightly better than what the Suns have been shooting on shots in that same area where the average, the nearest defender is four to six feet away. Um, But they're only 25 for 73 on wide open threes, which is the nearest defender is six plus feet away. So that's only 34% on wide open threes. Um, And both of those numbers are down from their regular season averages. During the regular season, they averaged uh, 34.3% on open threes and 38% on wide open threes. So, slightly down. They're still not a good three point shooting team by any means, but it is something to keep an eye on because we've seen LeBron pick teams apart. We've seen him take over with scoring when he needs to. Is he still able to do that at age 36 and coming off, you know, not one, but two ankle rolls? I don't know. We'll see. Like, this is going to be the ultimate test, but the Suns have to be prepared for LeBron's best in game five. He knows how pivotal a game this is. He knows that if he steals this game on the road, the Lakers can give Anthony Davis a little more time to maybe come back for game six and close out at home. Um, You know, this guy has been in countless big playoff games, so he's not going to be scared of the moment. It's just a question of how capable he is right now based on how his body's feeling, whether he trusts his body, whether he's had time to work that rust off because he only had a couple of regular season games under his belt before the playoffs started. And then he's facing this really tough Suns defense. So we don't really know what we're going to get from LeBron. We do know it's going to be his best effort. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch. And we also need to keep an eye on the Lakers tactical adjustments, because even if you're missing Anthony Davis, which is obviously huge and the biggest thing there, the Lakers have started to realize the benefit of playing Marcus Saul, especially after game four, Um, Saul hit three of his five, three pointers. And when he was taking those threes, he was relatively wide open because Aiton was packing the paint and trying to make sure that, you know, LeBron wasn't getting anything easy, that their cutters weren't getting anything easy. It was just kind of a casualty. I think the Suns will game plan a little bit more for Marc Gasol to make sure that Aiton is closer up on those threes. But it seems like the Suns are willing to let the Lakers shooters shoot themselves out of the series, which so far they have because they're not a good shooting team. Um, but that could change if they have Gasol out there, if they go with smaller lineups, even though Markeith Morris is kind of dog shit these days. he's He hasn't been good in a while, but he is a guy that's smaller and will take threes. Ben McLemore got more minutes in game four, and he went two for three from three-point range as well. So the Lakers are starting to veer more towards small ball, more towards having guys that are actually good, away from the Andre Drummond minutes a little bit. So we might see a drastic change in game five if Anthony Davis isn't able to go out there. And all of this revolves around LeBron James, his ability to set up shooters for good looks, especially if he's being aggressive off the dribble and the Suns aren't able to scramble with the double teams that they send at him. So it's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on that. I think Suns fans should feel confident heading into game five, but that possibility of a LeBron James classic is looming over this game five and they need to make sure that they are prepared for it and that they respond to it in kind because if the Lakers shooters aren't hitting LeBron James alone is not going to be enough. Uh, I think the sun's team is too good on both ends of the floor. They have too much depth, too much talent, especially if Chris Paul is healthy, but it is something to keep an eye on because we've seen LeBron James devastate teams who felt like they had the upper hand in a playoff series so many times before. So that's going to do it for sun's talk today. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. All right. So for our final segment today, for today's G rating, we're going to be talking about HBO's mayor of East town, which just wrapped up its first and probably only season on HBO. Um, It was only seven episodes long, so it's not a particularly long binge. Uh, They're about an hour long each episode, but it's a, it's a very interesting show and I feel like it really gained steam and popularity as it went along. Um, it's basically, it's a compelling sort of whodunit mystery, especially because, uh, it, it's set in this small suburb, like Philadelphia town, these Philly suburbs, and it's just a very small community and everyone in this story at some point or another is like a legitimate suspect. Uh, with their own baggage, with their own histories to consider. Um, but it honestly kind of shines, especially in the finale that just wrapped up over the weekend, it honestly shines better as a story about confronting personal demons and sort of rising above what your surroundings or what your environment dictate that you should be or what they, you know, what is expected of you based on where you come from. Um, so it's centered around a police detective named Mayor Mayor of Easttown. Um, And she's played by Kate Winslet, who really does some great character work with her, because at the very start, the first couple of episodes, I really didn't like her character. I felt like Mare was very unlikable. Um, But the more it goes on, the more you learn about her and her trauma and the people around her, uh, why she is the way she is, the more you kind of understand and appreciate it. Um, And by the end of the series, it really wraps up her character arc extremely well so it was kind of interesting how it flipped the script because I really didn't like her character at first and then by the end of the series I mean she was she was great and and a lot of things turned around so basically at the start of the show she's trying to solve a new murder the murder of this girl named Erin McMiniman um, and this is coming about a year after a young woman from that same town went missing um And she hasn't made a lot of traction over the course of that one year on the missing girl. And it's uncomfortable because, like, the girl's missing or the missing girl's mother is like someone who lives in the town. Like, they're all very close knit. Mare knows everybody that she's either investigating or dealing with. She knows their family history, their backstory, because it's a very tight knit, small community. Um, So she's trying to solve this murder. She's not making a lot of traction on the old missing woman's, the missing girl's case and people are tying them together because another woman has been murdered. Um, So she's assigned a partner from County that she resents. Um, His name's Colin Zabel. He's played by Evan Peters, who is uh, Quicksilver from the X-Men movies and then made his brief appearance in WandaVision. Um, Great actor. But so the victim here is this young girl. She's a single mother, mother who's had relationships with several men in the town. And it's never uh, clear whether these relationships were sexual or physical or whether they were just, you know she comes from a broken home. Like her father is not a good uh, guy, he's abusive. And so she has a lot of male companions that come in and out of the picture as far as whether they're a murder suspect because they had a certain affair going on. Um, She's also a single mother, so she has a child and the identity of the child's father is also in question here. Um, So along the way, there are just so many different twists and turns and misdirections. Um, You think the killer is like five different characters before it's finally solved. And honestly, the final, you know, when it's revealed who the actual murderer was, it's not some crazy, like unforgettable murder mystery twist. Um, But like I said, I feel like This show succeeds as more than that. It's not your typical crime thriller. Like if you're looking for a a classic kind of, you know, your typical murder investigation story where the clues add up in in the very end, this might not be it. Um, I feel like the murder mystery part of it kind of got shortchanged by the direction that they went with it in the finale. But I still really enjoyed the finale because um, the, The way that it wrapped things up was sad, but also uplifting for a show that was very dreary. And it did a good job of like rounding out Mare's character arc and a lot of the trauma that she went through, um, that you learn more about as the show goes on. Because when the show starts, she's, you know, she's mean, she's prickly, it's like her way or the highway. She's not interested in like making friends or being nice or any serious love interests. You know, she's kind of a jerk to her ex husband to her family, like her mom and her young daughter. Um, she's distant from her young daughter. She's always arguing with her mom and with her boss. Um, but by the end of the show, it's like a complete 180 because she solves the case. She succeeds at her job. She like encourages her daughter to go off to Berkeley in a good place um, to pursue her kind of interests. She goes to her ex-husband's wedding and is like you know, having dinner with their family and everything is nice. Um, And she does solve the case kind of at the expense of her best friend, Um, but she makes up with her and they kind of patch that up as well. Uh, She has like a a healthy romantic interest at the end of the show and kind of the the main trauma that she overcomes aside from all that and fixing her family life and whatnot, her career, is her son committed suicide, um, I think about a year prior or so to the events of the show. And so she had a hard time dealing with that. And he had, you know, he had hung himself in the attic of the home where they all still live. So at the very end of the show, she had been talking to her therapist about this, another step of positive growth for her. She had started going to therapy and talking about some of these things. And that's how we learn about her son and a lot of the issues that he went with, went through. But at the very end of the show, she like, goes. it's, it's a really beautiful image, but it just shows you know, the ladder dropping down to the attic and her going up into the attic. And then it's just a shot of the ladder and the attic and there's nobody in the shot. And it's, it's really, it's a great way to go out on a show that was very dreary and dark for most of the first, you know, five or six episodes. And then she is on the path to getting closure about her son, confronting her demons, um, moving past her trauma, being in a better place. So it does end on a very uplifting note for a show that's about uh, you know, a murder investigation and a couple of people do get killed in the process of this whole show. Um, so it's not a complete happy ending, but it is uh, surprisingly optimistic at the very end there. Um, so again, if you're looking for like a strict crime thriller murder investigation type show, you might be a little disappointed, but I did like the ending, how it was sad and it was different, how Mare got her closure. Um, And it rounded off her character arc in a satisfying way. There were a lot of, there's still a lot of action. There's, you know, twists and turns, like I said, to keep people interested on a week to week basis. Um, But honestly, it it felt like there might've been too many twists at some point. It, It felt like they just added misdirection for the sake of it because there were, you know, there were a couple of plot holes that you don't think about until you start reading like the reviews after the show and you're like, oh yeah, they never addressed this or that or this like it, it's probably easier to notice if you binge them all all seven in one sitting or in two sittings or whatever but watching week to week some things slip through the cracks that you totally forget about um because there are a lot of plot holes like the Dylan who was the guy that Aaron McMinneman thought was the father or people thought that he was the father of Aaron McMinneman's uh child because they had been together um you know, he threatened Aaron's friend to to burn all of Aaron's diaries because they were basically making it seem like there was something to hide in these diaries. But really there wasn't anything except for one picture that I don't think Dylan even knew about. And then the friend wound up turning the picture in, but only after the fact. And it was unclear why she was doing that other than the show just kind of setting it up as a mystery, as, as a loose end and stuff. Um, and to make you think that Dylan might be the murderer, because then he goes after Aaron's friend over the diaries and not burning them and whatever. Um, you know, he goes, Dylan, this kid goes missing, or he's missing for a couple of hours on the night when Aaron McMinneman is murdered, and it never addresses where he actually went during that time. Um, and it's not meant to be like, oh, well, maybe he did do it like no, the murder mystery is solved at the end. It's, it's very black and white but it just never addresses that. And it's just one of those loose threads that's left hanging there. Um, you know, the, the, one of the guys that you also think is the killer takes his brother out into the woods because they both know who the real killer is. And he almost kills his brother until Mary gets there. And it's unclear why, because going into the episode, you think that he is the killer. So he's trying to protect himself, but he doesn't even wind up being the killer He doesn't kill his brother, but it was unclear why he wanted to kill his brother other than, you know, one less person knowing about it, I guess, one loose end. But, you know, their family, they helped cover up the murder together. So it was kind of weird why he would just turn on his brother unless it was just for the sake of adding drama and and adding one more twist and turn. Um, It it just kind of felt like some of these characters were there to like muddy the waters a little bit and their intentions and motivations weren't fully revealed or they didn't make sense or they weren't fully justified in the end. So that was kind of my one criticism of the show is that it was almost like they put too much, too many different character motivations into it just to try and confuse you and throw you off the scent and leave you guessing until the very end. Um, And to be fair, it worked because I didn't know who the killer was until they basically told me who it was. Um, so it it was effective in that way, but I think because of who the killer actually ends up being, it's a little bit of a letdown that there are all, the, all these different twists and turns, and the final answer is not what you're expecting, and it's not really um, particularly mind-shattering. It's more just sad, and I think the the real strength of the finale is more like what I was saying with Mare and her character growth. So. Um, still a very good watch. It's only seven episodes. Kate Winslet is great. So is Julianne Nicholson, who plays Mare's best friend in the show. Um, and like I said, the final image, the final shot of the finale is, is powerful and surprisingly upbeat to what starts off as a very uh, downer and dark show. Um, but for my final score, I'm going to give this an eight out of 10. I thought it was very good. I didn't think it was perfect. I didn't think it completely stuck the landing, but I thought it was a very entertaining and, and well done show. We'll see if they do a season two. I'm not really sure how that would work because I feel like they closed it off in a good and healthy way, but we'll see. Um, I think for the next G rated segment that we do later in the week, when we come back and talk about uh, games five and 6 Uh you know unless the series is over then we'll probably have a lot more to talk about and maybe not enough time for a show but we might touch on modok which is on hulu um it's one of those stop animation shows and it's uh based on a marvel villain and it's it's pretty funny it's interesting if you're a fan of like robot chicken or you know the animated harley quinn series that's on hbo you should check out modok we might have to talk about that in the future But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please make sure to subscribe. Tell your friends. Write me a five-star review if you are enjoying the show. Um, But until next time, this is Gerald Bourget signing off.